welcome back to Performance Pathways podcast, where we talk to chiropractors who are working at the high end of sport and performance, all with a unique take on and background on how they got to where they are at the moment. So today we're very lucky to have with us Matt Forgy. Uh, Matt's from New Brunswick in, in Canada. He qualified from CMCC back in 2009, has uh, strong backgrounds in strength and conditioning, heavily influenced by, by the likes of Vladimir Yanda, uh, Stuart McGill, Gray Cook, Greg Rose, Charlie Weingroff, a few of the people he lists on his website as, as influencers. I first met Matt several years ago in Boston at, a, I think it was a functional range assessment or functional range conditioning program with uh, Dr. Andrea Spina. We got chatting and, and then I bumped into Matt several times later at the BSMPG, which is a sports performance uh, program, which was put on by, by Art Horn uh, in the in the early uh, 2012, 2013, 14. So always going really well with Matt and I, I always really appreciated his his input and his outlook on sports performance and how he integrated it into, into his practices for unique perspectives. So that all being said, I'm going to bring in Matt. Good afternoon, Matt. How are you doing? Great, Nick. How are you doing? It's great to be here. So in spite of reading that mostly directly from your website, I, I just want to make sure I got the details right and the key things in there. I'm sure you have some bits and pieces to add. Anything you, you would subtract or add into what I, what I just mentioned about you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that one of the things for me is that I try to, to, to learn from as many people as possible, you know, such as yourself or what we did in, in Boston. And I think, you know, um, I think I wrote that right up about two years ago. So for me, things change quite a bit. But yeah, you know, it's it's... It kind of represents me. I, I try to be um, as open-minded with this stuff as possible because things are changing a lot, and I try to to learn as much as I can. So it, it, it's, I guess, it's one of those things that it's changing daily for me. So you're from a family of chiropractors, you mentioned. So uh, what sort of influence did that have on you when you were choosing your your career path? Um, when did when did it start to become notable for you that you wanted to go in this direction? Yeah, so I think I, I have a, it's weird. I started with a degree in chemistry. I got a degree in organic chemistry. I finished in 2001. And um, I decided when I worked in the lab one summer that I didn't want to spend my time staring at uh, NMR readouts. I decided then to go look at biology. So I, was, I did a degree in biology at another school. And then I was into anatomy a lot. I really got into evolutionary anatomy and the next thing I know I, I made this decision do I want to do what my mother and father do are doing or do I want to go into medical school and it was a lifestyle thing for me really my mother and father had a great lifestyle they didn't they worked for themselves they could work when they wanted to work so that's I think really where it started to be honest I only really knew chiropractic from their viewpoint which was uh, I guess it was strange at the time but it was an exercise slash soft tissue based idea and uh, then I went to Cairo school and I realized that there was a lot more to it. So how was your experience at CMCC? It was great. Yep. I, I enjoyed CMCC. I thought it, it prepared me well to, to want to learn more. I think that's something that I, I really got out of that school was that it's a constant learning environment that you need to have yourself in. And, uh, you know, when I finished at CMCC, I, I think that's when I really started to realize that I was going to be trying to focus more on the exercise world. And that's what came from CMCC. You, um, you mentioned prior, there's a, a couple of people that a couple of people who are now out actually teaching, giving some excellent courses. One of them was, was Greg Lehman. You'd mentioned uh, Andrea Spina, uh, 
Jeff Kubos as well. Some, some obviously fairly well known people in the field. Were, were there any? Was there anybody at the school at the time, either fellow students or or teachers that that heavily in, influenced you whilst you were there? Yeah, there. I had two clinicians. One was Dr. Glenn Harris, and the other one was uh, Dr. Krista Graw. They're both my clinicians, and and they were they really were great because they would give me the opportunity to to kind of take more of that route of learning about exercise selection and, and the such. And it was. It, it was interesting because when you go through school, you, you, you know, when you get your clinician, it's kind of like, okay, who, who am I going to get? And I, I was lucky enough to get two really good clinicians that gave me the opportunity to, to realize that there's more to the profession than, than what a lot of people think. And I, I met actually Dr. Glenn Harris about eight years ago at a symposium in Puerto Rico. Really, really impressive, but, but genuine guy also. So it was a real, real pleasure to meet him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, he and I didn't. We didn't. We didn't keep in touch. But you're not the first person who's mentioned him as somebody that was influential and quite an important person in their in their career. You're moving more in towards almost, let's say, exercises as therapy, which is which is sort of interesting because that's now the big one of the big uh, pushes in, in in physiotherapy, physical therapy now, moving much more away from from passive treatments to active movements. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to to know what your perspective is on that and. In, in chiropractic terms, do you, do you see some changes in the profession in terms of what people are applying? Do you still think we have uh, some way to go in that respect? <sighs> yeah, I mean, that's a heavy question. I think... A, a loaded question. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to look at it in a simple extent. And I think the thing that we need to do as a profession is we need to really understand that, that what all the literature is coming to is that passive therapy may have a place, but really it's the exercise that's creating the change in the tissue or that is giving the individual relief. And um, I, I believe that as it gets more into the forefront and as the students start creating their, their clubs that they're having in schools, I think it's going to become more and more a thing in the chiropractic profession. And, and it's only going to go upwards, really, if you think about it. I, I think it's critical. And I think it's great that we have a scope which allows for that. If I feel like if our if our scope was was too restricted, we might end up missing that entire piece. Oh yeah, no. And I think we have to be be very mindful of that in in teaching, but also the type of continuing education that we take. I know that. All right. Well, I have to believe that given given some of the influencers you mentioned on your website, that DNS has formed a fairly important part of your your learning process. You want to talk a little bit to that when you started with with that learning cycle. Probably you're not done with that learning cycle either, but I'd be interested to know where that fitted in in terms of, was it, did you start with that when you were still a student or was it something which came into you after you graduated and started working more in the clinic? Sure. So DNS started really when I took my first TPI course with Greg Rose. So Dr. Greg Rose came to CMCC in, in the summer that I graduated and I was still in Toronto. So I went to this and Literally, my mind got blown. I'm like, uh, there's all this stuff out here that I don't know about. And um, one of the names that came up was Vladimir Yonda. Then I followed that a little bit more. And the next thing I know, I'm doing DNSA in, at CMCC, I believe. And then for about three or four years, I tried to collect as much information from that as I can. And, you know, now DNS, it, it, it's definitely like a... a I guess a framework for me, but I, I'm definitely trying to learn more from all the different types of, of approaches to, to fitness. And, you know, like Adrenal Spina is, is definitely up there on my list of, of, of big mentors now when it comes to mobility work. And I, I don't know, I think that the DNS system is definitely would be the base of my, of my clinic and would be the base of the gym for sure. So that was probably a good place for you to start then. So as a, as a structure, as a framework, it's it, it helped you get a deeper understanding of what could be done. Yeah. 
and then maybe the holes or the other pieces of it you've been able to, to fill in or supplement with learning from, from other places. Right. So I found what really interested me the most is that with DNS and with PRI and with other other things that we're, people are getting themselves into, breathing becomes a very important thing. And and I just seemed to get along with the way that DNS was teaching the breathing concepts. And I now have made that a very important part of my clinical practice and a very important part of my my fit my performance clinic. So you know, I, I have a tendency to lean towards the simple stuff. And, and I really found that the way that uh, DNS gave me that, gave me a really good way to teach that to people. And it took me, it took me a good chunk of time to learn how to teach it properly. Makes sense. So on top of DNS, then who, who what was the next big influence for you? I mentioned Dan, Andrew Spina. I wonder, I wonder how many of his, his courses you've, you've been through. I've been through all of them. Um, the only one I have not done with with um, Adriano Spina is his kin stretch, and I, I mean to do that at some point. I've uh, done. I'm also into strong first, so I've, I'm I'm working on getting my half body weight press right now. So that'd be the strong first level too. So the, the Pavel Tatsuni's influence on me is is high as well too. So I started to realize how all of these different groups that are teaching people are are there's a lot of overlap, and I just started noticing overlap on top of overlap and I and it just started to make sense for me things became easy you know what's sad for me is I wouldn't pass the minimum criteria for teaching functional range assessment or, or kin stretch so fortunately I don't have to take any more of that of those <laughs> courses I'm, I'm I'm debarred automatically ruled out due to my Scottish hips <laughs> but there you go <laughs> so that's great so maybe maybe it'd be good to just describe a little bit about what a what a typical day in your uh, in your facility, why, why don't you describe to us what your facility looks like? How many people work there? Sure. And, and what the, what the flow through is with it? How, how much responsibility maybe you're taking for the, the strength and conditioning part and the and the training, and how much clinical work you do? Yeah. So right now I'm kind of uh, so well. I have there's three chiropractors, including my father and myself. Um, we also have two physiotherapists, an athletic therapist a massage therapist, a strength coach, and then some front desk support. Um, typically, uh, depending on the day, sometimes I'm up at uh, five in the morning down at the gym and training the, the kayak performance group. So I'm working as a strength coach in the morning. And then during the day, I will be treating patients. And then at a certain point, a varsity team may come in and then I'll, I'll come in and be a strength coach. So I kind of go in and out between the two. And, and really what has happened is that when it comes to my clinical time with patients, as soon as I can get them into the gym, it's going to happen. So I may only have like the initial visit with a patient in a, in a clinical setting, and then it's right into the gym. And I want to teach them overloading principles and movement principles as soon as I can. And it's been a lot of fun to say the least. How are you, how are you giving your clients and patients education? Are you, are you doing group education classes, do you, do you make a very separate, distinct thing or are you more coaching into people as they're, as they're working and, and sort of drip feeding it on the way? Yeah. So essentially my interaction with most of my, my patients is a, is an education basis. So I'm, I'm always trying to communicate and, and teach. And <clears throat> sometimes, you know, I may have one patient learning a deadlift in one corner and another patient's on the ground doing a a glute bridge or something and I'll be like see we're both working on the same patterns you know and I'll try to 
teach people through observation and, and watching other people make mistakes. It's, it's really interesting because you can, when, when you start to show people that everyone's kind of working on the same thing, they start to grab to it a little bit more. And I think one of the, one of the things that I try to do the most, and I, I try to eliminate passive therapy as much as I can on the initial visit, I want people to leave on an initial visit feeling better, not because my hands helped them, because they learned to do something that made them feel better. So I guess I'm, I'm curious then in that case, is it, since since we're trying to decrease dependence or, or um, developing dependence on, on passive types of therapies, how, how do you handle somebody who's coming in that's had previous experience with, with a chiropractor and they're they thinking, I'm gonna go in here and, and Matt's gonna, gonna fix me up and I'm gonna be set uh, how, are you, how are you managing those expectations? How does that conversation go? Oh, okay. So my background is I spent about eight years bartending. So <laughs> what that did for what that did for me is I started to learn how to manage different personalities at a very young age. And so some people that will come in that have preconceived ideas of what I should be doing to them, it's a very long conversation. And for the most part, like I would say now it's about nine out of ten. I, I generally come out you know, with, with kind of that, that idea that, you know, exercise is a solution and passive therapy may be part of getting you to that point, but it's not going to really change tissues as much as we think it may. And, um, and then there's other patients that just don't want to hear it. And, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. I, I really think that as a society and as a culture, we need to start to take our health into our own hands. And if we have clinicians that are not teaching that, then we're, we're really going to have a hard time. Makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you worked in a, you don't still work at the bar, right? No, but I feel like I'm a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just from a point of interest, and this is maybe not necessarily a clinically related question, but, but I know your marriage of three children, your hours are obviously pretty extended. I mean, how are you, how are you managing the, the two components or aspects of your life? I, I live in Ross, New Brunswick. I have a 30-second drive to work. I, I should not be driving to get to work. I, um, the, where I live, the, 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 it's just not a busy, busy area. So I don't get caught up with traffic. I don't get caught up with a lot of the other things that a big city center would have. So I'm able to come home and have a lunch and have lunch with my family for two hours. You know, I can, if I have a break in between patients, I can come up and hang out with my, my children and my wife. So it's, it's definitely a balancing game right now. I am working my best to try to start to teach and get interns coming in to, to, to show them the systems that I'm developing and, it, and it's working. It's just that, you know, it, it, it still means that I still need to be doing a lot of work down at the office. So, you know, my kids come down and hang out every once in a while. It, it, it's, 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 it's a lot of work. I guess. And, and that's not a bad environment for kids to come down and hang out in either, right? I mean, no, it's great. For movement has emphasized lots of things, safe things. Some of the stuff is safe, I guess, for, for kids to be jumping up and around would be some stuff not quite so safe, but they'll learn about that as well. Um, so in, in terms of familial part, you're, you're, is your wife involved in the center as well or? No, no, my, my, I am in this family. It's just myself that's down in the center working. She's, she's, we're, she's probably going to be working on the idea of creating like a, a cafe that will give uh, good nutritional food or something like that out of the center. But yeah, no, she's, she's got three children. She's, we need it. Yeah, it's enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we've been in the same boat this past, past uh, six years as well. It's kind of interesting. So um, let's, let's talk a, a bit more about, the center you have um 
so obviously when I when I met you, I think that was under construction. So that would have been about 2013, 14. Yeah, it would have been very very much in the like the drawing board phase. Yeah. Yeah. So now and now it is built. And what I did is I created a around a four thousand square foot extension to my facility. It's two floors. Um, I have one floor has a large vault ceiling in it, and it's like you know where the I have five five racks. I have an open turf area, um, and, and then I have some Kaiser machines, etc. And then upstairs I have um, two bathrooms, a, a kind of like a recovery unit. So in there I have a sauna, a cool, uh, just a bathtub that I call a cooling tank, and a really big shower that people could relax and have a long shower in. And then I have a back room, which is more or less like a stretching slash lecture slash jujitsu wrestling room. So I I try to create a, a an area where people start to realize that the the recovery stuff is is really really an important part of the game. I like that. So you basically it, you've used the the space really to create opportunities for different different types of movements and different type of expression, but but also uh, multi multi purpose or multifunctional, which is yeah. which is really smart. Mm. Are there any other facilities like that in your area? No. And, and it, it's, it's hard because I'm the only one that's trying to kind of, I'm not, I shouldn't say I'm the only one. Everyone's trying to do something along these lines, but I'm lucky enough that I was able to, to create this and build it. Um, I think, I think the thing is, is that the idea of, of trying to have everything under one roof, um, is, is novel for this area, but I think people are starting to realize that it's probably the way things are going to get going. Yeah. And, and- We'll, we'll give the uh, the website address when we finish up here because it is actually a really really impressive facility. I mean, the website probably doesn't even do it justice. I imagine it's not the same as being in there and seeing what what it's like when it's full and there's good movement in there. But just just fantastic. And and tell me, it's always interesting to me when there's a, when there's an integration of different professionals and in, in the facility. So what sort of prerequisites when you're working with the different different professionals and practitioners you have in there? What what sort of prerequisites are you looking for? What makes a good team player, I suppose, in that sense? Yeah, so, you know, I, I kind of have that that old thing that I just really want to have nice people around me and, and people that are willing to learn. And that's really what we, we've established. You know, I think the thing is, is that um, it's it's really hard to work with someone that has already decided that they, they understand everything. And, and I'd argue that no one really understands anything. And, you know, we, we just got to try to, I, I do my best to try to, educate we have meetings every monday at 11 o'clock and we just sit down and we try to have an an open discussion about anything and everything whether it's marketing or a patient or or what's going on in the gym so it it, it's really cool how the dynamic is is moving forward was always your plan to have a center like you have or or was it something evolved over time um yeah no it was it was always kind of one of the things that i thought would be really neat to be able to do and it's amazing that i was able to get to this point Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of had this idea that uh, we, we really need to start all working together as a team as, as opposed to trying to work against one another. I think, I think there's a lot of stuff going on in the, um, the rehab slash like non-surgical world that, that there's just so much overlap that professions almost need to start to, to learn to work better together. Also recognize the, the strengths that each other can bring to certain situations. And that's definitely something I've seen over the, over the past couple of years, and I think for me, the benefit of working in different sports teams is uh, I've I've seen that. So you learn how good a great athletic trainer can be. You learn how how much uh, a really well trained physiotherapist or physical therapist can bring to the table 
and how much better it is when, when you can bring all of that to play and to serve the athlete, to serve the patient, rather than, oh, they didn't do this or he said that and that's completely wrong or this, this guy's an idiot. Yeah. It's, it's just not a good place to live. And I think that's one of the big dangers when you're working in, in solo practice. Charlie, maybe Charlie Weingroff was the first person I heard refer to silos, or at least he was the first person I heard really hammer it home. Yeah. But but it definitely seems to be true. Now. It's just getting stuck in your own little world in your in your head and thinking maybe that you're something that you're not. Yeah, no kidding. We've all been there. I mean, I'm, I'm sure at a certain point in your career, you've probably been in a place where you, you felt comfortable and then something comes along and just blows you away. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that happened to me when I graduated from school. You know, it's weird. It's like you, you finish school and you think you know it all. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to check that. <laughs> It happens to me, and sometimes it seems to be dismissive of that. And I think that was that was maybe one of my issues was that I would I, I would see something, and instead of diving into and thinking, well, this is that, like chiro- some of the chiropractic neurology, it, because it was so overwhelmingly large in such a large large space, or, or also even DNS to a certain extent, because it, because it's a very deep and involved course, and I, I and I knew that if you took part one, you, you just can't leave it there, because it's going to give you enough to whet your appetite, but it's not really going to give you enough to be an effective practitioner. Correct. For me, it's always been coming across a practitioner that can do something that, that I can't do or knows something that I don't know. And the easy way just to say, oh, that's, that's rubbish or that's, uh, no, that's, that's not for me. But, but unfortunately, I think for professional growth, you, you almost have to follow through on those types of things or find somebody that is really good in that space. And, and, and you, you just can't be an expert in all these areas. That's what's becoming really apparent. So Matt, for, for people who are about to graduate or who remember in their first year of practice and and absolutely want to get into into sports performance world and want to want to absolutely get into the type of work that you're doing. What what recommendations would you have? Ah, uh, well, I mean, hmm. what what really got me heavily involved was I, I do enjoy playing sports myself. So one thing would happen is that you know I still play hockey. Uh, we call it soccer here, football. Um, I, I'm involved with jujitsu. I, I, I got myself involved with the communities that I wanted to be involved with. And, you know, one thing led to another. I'd, I'd help someone with something. Next thing you know, they're like, oh, you do this. And, and the ball just started rolling. So I think for me, what really started with is that when I graduated from school, I, I still came out of there thinking that I want to learn more. And I, I I want to get myself out there. I wasn't really trying to to work with teams or I wasn't looking for that. I was really learning or trying to 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 learn more about what I had the potential to do. And then things just started coming to me because I was putting this work in and I was helping people or working so or working. I think one of the the things that that people ask me the most is, you know, how are you working with all the, you know, MMA fighters? How are you doing the, the working with high schools and all the stuff? And, and really at the end of the day, it was just, I put my head down and I worked and, and results started happening. And then people start to ask you, and that's really, I feel like one of the best ways to get involved is, is to get to a point where people want to ask you the questions. That makes a lot of sense. I want to just wind things up here, Matt. So before we before we tie up, is uh, where where can people find out more about you, about your facility, and a little bit more information about about in your background? Sure. Um, my website is www.forfitnessandathletics.com. Um, I also have uh, my Facebook page at Matt Forgy, and then also on Instagram, and and that's really where I I put most of my stuff out there on the social media world. 
we are trying to do a little bit more blogging, but I mean, it, it is really for me a game right now where I'm working on getting these the systems going down at the clinic and at the facility. So it's that our photo or, or video that I have time for right now. From from my point of view, the, the people who I've interviewed and had on these these podcasts, it's, it's one thing to have a look at somebody doing things on, on Instagram or on social media, or even taking a snapshot of what you think they're doing mm-hmm. at the same time. But the reality is when you actually see somebody work and you're with them over a period of time, you can pick up things from, from the, the way that they communicate, the way that they work with people, subtle adjustments that they that no, no pun intended, but subtle adjustments they make to, to certain movements or certain exercise. And I think aside from everything, that's something which has been apparent across some of the great practitioners that I've seen working. It's not really what they say or, or what they're putting out on, on social media. It's, it's really how they behave and how they go about their, their business on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, and even even watching somebody go through their own workout, which is, which is at, at Northeastern when we were able to go back there and, and, and train for a little bit, it was, it was really cool to see you the guys from Ramphone Training uh, are just just going through their paces. I mean, even, even little things like that, the fly in the wall stuff, you you watch and, and you learn a lot. Um, so, I, I think getting out also and observing and and seeing networking and seeing what other practitioners are, are doing and how they're working, you can you can learn a huge amount from that, right? Oh yeah, it's amazing. Like I think I, I do my <laughs> when we were down in Northeastern, it was I was just yeah I was a fly on the wall. It was the best way to describe it. It was. It was definitely an eye opener, and I'm, you know, I, I hope Art does it again. Art's listening. <laughs> I'll, I'll send it specifically to Art. Make him feel guilty enough to maybe start the program up again. <laughs> I just want to thank you a lot for your time and taking out this 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 half hour just to go through some of this with us. It's been extremely interesting. I've I've learned some things about you just about your journey that that I didn't know that I was really curious about. Um, and I, I would encourage people to go and have a look at your your information, and I will publish some of the notes for this podcast for anybody that does want to learn a little bit more but matt thanks a lot for coming on and and i hope to see you in the not too distant future yes of course you too and thank you very much i really appreciate the opportunity so thank you for listening to this pathways to performance podcast we hope that you find this episode engaging and as interesting as we did join us next time as we continue to explore the journeys of other high performance practitioners in elite sport